and welcome to another episode of Audie's Oddities. As always, my name is Audie and I'm here to tell you about the scary and spooky shit happening in our world. I would like to start off the episode by telling everybody that I will be mispronouncing the name of this family. I am so sorry, but it is a German name and I cannot read. I can't even pronounce English words correctly, let alone ones from another language, so I apologize for butchering it. But look at the spelling, you know what I'm trying to say, it's the name of the episode. Alright, disclaimer done. I'm just a little dyslexic girl who doesn't know what to do with herself sometimes, okay? Big words be very hard for my brain. Leave me alone. Maybe it's one of those words that if I just say it fast enough, then nobody can be mad at me. Because if I just say it quick, then maybe it'll sound okay. Well, without further ado, today I wanted to talk about the Hendrick Effect. I said that so wrong, but it's fine. The Hendrick Effect Farm Murders or Hendrick Effect Family Murders. If I'm saying it wrong, which more than likely I am, you know that I'm trying. You know what I'm trying to say. It's in the description. It's in the name. Look it up. If you figured out how to say it correctly, God bless you. Good for you. But over here, I don't know words, okay? But it's fine because one thing I do know how to tell is stories about murder. So let's talk about it. On March 31st of 1922, six people staying in a farmhouse in Germany were murdered brutally and the culprit has never been caught. This is apparently one of the most gruesome unsolved cases in all of Germany. I'm also just gonna butt in by saying I've really been enjoying trying to find true crime cases from other countries. Very interesting stories. Love them so much. If you have any cases from outside of the U.S., please send them to me. I'm not saying that murders in the U.S. aren't interesting, but I feel like I've researched a lot of them already, but I'm finding cases outside of it that are really, really interesting. Notice how I had to hesitate because I was about to say fun and I was like, no, 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 I I can't call true crime fun. It's not fun. That's not why we're here. It may be a little entertaining, but it's not fun. I'm going to start off this episode by saying all the victims' names and their ages, mostly just to give you a track record, but also because I like to respect victims here. And of course, as always, all of their names and ages will also be in the description of this podcast. Once again, these are German names, so if I absolutely butcher some of them, I'm so sorry, but I'm trying my hardest with the utmost respect. Andreas Grubber, 63. Kazilia Grubber, 72. Victoria Gabriel, 35. Victoria's daughter, Kazilla Gabriel, 7. And Victoria's infant son, Joseph, who was only 2. Also, the new maid, Maria Baumgartner, who was 44 at the time. All six victims were struck in the head with a grub axe, which I had to research what that was. It kind of looks like a normal axe. Honestly, if you were to look at it as a normal person, you would probably just call it an axe. But the best way I can describe it is somewhere between an axe and a hammer. So we're going to start off talking about this case by talking about some of the creepy events that happened on the farm before the murders even took place. So six months before the murders even happened, the original maid, not Maria, had actually quit. Why, you might be asking? Because along with the maid and the rest of the family, they kept hearing odd noises in the attic. Noises that sounded like footsteps. And it freaked out the maid enough that she packed up her things and left because she thought the place was haunted. It would be only a few months later that Andreas would find a newspaper on the property. The only problem is, is that this newspaper was from a city kind of far away and nobody in the home or any of the neighbors had subscribed to this newspaper. So it's not even like he could think, oh, maybe the postman dropped it or something like that. 
There's no reason this paper should be here. And this is a large farm property, you guys. This isn't a couple acres. This is like hundreds of acres where someone could be hiding. And the reason I say maybe someone could be hiding is because only days before the murder, they had a large snowfall. While walking outside, Andreas noticed that there were footprints leading from the forest to a broken door to the machine room with no returning footprints. I'm assuming that a machine room is where they're keeping all their large equipment for their farm, but I also went on a little rampage, might I say, about thinking about what a machine room would be. Part of me wants to think it's just a giant room that has a huge machine just for shearing sheep or something like that, even though I know it's probably just filled with tractors and less exciting things, but still. Hey, you know how I'm here to tell you about the spooky and scary shit happening in our world? Well, I'm here to tell you about something happening right now. Do you love Halloween? I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you have to, right? Well, have you ever wished that there was another time to celebrate that fun and spooky time of year other than October? Well, if you live in the Athens, Georgia area, now you can! Hauntfest is a Halloween slash horror festival business that celebrates Halloween in the spring rather than the fall. So you can get two times as spooky twice a year. The next festival is coming up super soon, April 6th and 7th, and it's going to include some awesome spooky activities. So if you like hay rides, freak shows, fire breathing, live music, trivia, pumpkin painting, animal encounters, a haunted trail, and much more, make sure that you come out April 6th and 7th to the Southern Brewing Company in Athens, Georgia. The festival will also be hosting an array of horror and Halloween-themed fenders, offering things like antiques, tarot readings, original horror literature, macrame artwork, jewelry, and oh yeah, I'll be there. That's right, if you want to come hang out with me, I will be there selling some of my artwork along with all of the other spooky people. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity for only $15 today when you order pre-sale tickets. For ticket purchases, inquiries, and more info, please visit www.hauntfest.us. And don't forget to follow hauntfest.athens on Instagram for all of the updates about the festival. This year's slogan is, who cares about April Fools when you can go to April Ghouls? Later on the same day that Andreas found the footprints outside, they heard footsteps in the attic again. When Andreas went to investigate this time, though, they found nobody. And it annoyed Andreas enough that he had mentioned to a couple friends about it, but he refused help from any of the friends and also refused to mention it to the police. The day before the murders, a seven-year-old girl who was friends with Kazilla, the young daughter, reported that Victoria, the mother, had fled the farm that night after a heated argument, and she was found hours later inside the forest that the footprints had come from. So maybe they were thinking it was from that, whatever, but unfortunately it definitely wasn't because Victoria definitely didn't kill six people and then kill herself. Let's get into it. So on Friday, March 31st, Maria, the new maid, arrived at the farm after her sister dropped her off there and left after a short visit. Maria's sister was likely the last person to see the family alive. And as the morning played out, the family members were lured one by one into the barn through the stables and killed with the axe. Except for baby Joseph, who was killed in his crib in the house, And finally, the maid Maria, who was killed in her bedroom. 
After murdering all six members of the family, we know that the murderer stayed in the house for three days. We know this because things like the animals had been fed, food had been eaten, and neighbors saw smoke coming out of the chimney, so we knew fires had been started. I believe a day after the murderer had finally left the home, coffee sellers came to the door, but nobody would answer even after knocking on the window. Which then led me down an entire rabbit hole of finding out what coffee sellers were. Y'all know the milkman? Yeah, they had that for coffee. Why can't they have that now? Do you know how many mornings I have woken up and there hasn't been coffee or coffee creamer and it has ruined my entire day? I think coffee sellers need to be a thing again. And if you're telling me, oh, Audie, just add it to your Amazon list. Have them ship it to you ever so often. No, I don't want that. I want somebody to personally deliver it and it be special. And no, the UPS man is not special. Sorry. So these coffee sellers walked around the farm a little bit, but still couldn't find anybody. And after they noticed that the door to the farm machines in the barn was open, they decided to just leave. A little suspicious, if you ask me. As days passed and the little girl didn't show up for school anymore, the family didn't show up to Sunday school, people started to really worry. A local mechanic named Albert Hoffner went to the house on April 4th to repair an engine that I believe he was previously hired to repair. He says that he didn't see anyone in the family, but he heard the animals and the family dog inside the barn. And after waiting on the family to show up for about an hour, he just went ahead and started fixing the thing that he came to repair. After about four and a half hours of repairing this machine, he ended up leaving without ever seeing another soul. Around 3.30 p.m. that day, a man named Lorenz sent his son, Joan, and stepson, Joseph, who were only 16 and 9 at the time, by the way, to go and see if they could make contact with some of the family members, because everyone was starting to worry. After the kids returned, saying that the farm was completely silent, Lorenz and two of his friends went out to the farm to finally discover the bodies of the four family members in the barn. They quickly contacted police, but unfortunately, the crime scene had already been tampered with, bodies and other items had been moved, and they had the added layer of all of the things inside the house being moved from the murderer staying there for a few days, so they thought even more had been tampered with. Because it was 1922, the autopsies were performed right there inside of the barn. The murder weapon was not found, unfortunately, but through doing the autopsies, they did learn Hold on, everybody, because this is going to be a tearjerker. If brutal child stuff bothers you, which, yes, it should, but if it's extra sensitive for you, skip ahead a couple minutes. The young seven-year-old girl, Kazilla, was found to be alive after her initial attack. We know this because tufts of her hair had been pulled out by her while she was laying in the hay. After the initial autopsies in the barn, the skulls of the victims were sent to the morgue for further testing. Initially, while investigating, the police suspected that the crime was going to be a robbery and interviewed a few of the craftsmanship and neighbors, such as, you know, the coffee sellers, but abandoned this idea quickly after they discovered a large amount of money in the home, which definitely would have been taken after this murderer was staying in the home for days after the fact. No one was ever convicted of this crime, and the case was officially closed in 1955, but the last interrogations took place in 1986, right before the chief retired. A year after this crime took place, the farm was demolished, and along with the demolishing of the house, they discovered the murder weapon, the axe, in the attic, along with a penknife inside of the barn. 
So now let's get into some of the theories and some of the crazy things that I found out while researching this. Let's start off with the first suspect. His name is Carl Gabriel, and he was Victoria's husband. He was a soldier who was fighting in World War I and ultimately passed away at war, leaving Victoria a widow. Now you're probably thinking, Audie, he's dead. How can he be a suspect? Well, people think that he may not be dead only because they never recovered his body. So remember how Victoria had a two-year-old baby who was also murdered, Joseph? Well, this baby was conceived while Carl was at war. So it definitely wasn't Carl's. And unfortunately, I'm pretty sure I know whose it was. So we find out, trigger warning you guys, that Andreas, the father of Victoria, was raping her. Enough to the point that neighbors had noticed and they actually had to go to court and were both charged with incest, you know, as if it was Victoria's fault. But this ultimately gave him a horrific role of being father and grandfather to two-year-old Joseph, who was more than likely his child. Some people believe that Carl was actually still alive and that he came back and murdered the whole family out of rage, basically. The reason that they believe this is that at the end of the Second War, some captives from the German side claimed to be sent home by a German-speaking Sovent who claimed to be the murderer. However, the men later revised their statements. What you said was said, you know? This brings us to our second suspect, Lorenz, who was the man who sent his two sons to the farm to the first place to go and see if anybody was there. So remember, Lorenz went with two of his buddies to go and discover all of the bodies. So he was acting pretty suspicious after finding the bodies in the barn. First off, they had to break down a gate into the barn because all of the doors were locked. However, after they found all four of the bodies, and after Lorenz moved some of them, he quickly went to the front door of the house and used a key to go in the door. Which is extra creepy when you find out that a set of house keys had gone missing days before the murder. Now, it's likely that because he was a neighbor, the family gave him an extra set of keys in case something happened, but still creepy all around. When asked why he went into the house so quickly, he said, I'm looking for my son, Joseph, which then led everybody to believe that he was having a relationship with Victoria and the baby could possibly be his. Something I kind of came up with on my own was what if he was moving the bodies because he was looking for Joseph? Which is so sad and awful, but I do kind of understand where he's coming from, even if he's not guilty. If he's a neighbor and he knows about the child and he finds that gruesome scene, of course he's immediately going to go into the house and look for the baby. Even if that baby isn't his. Well, but another piece of damning evidence is that four years after the murders, he went back to the site where there was just land now since the house had been demolished and talked to somebody. And he told them that... The reason that the family wasn't buried and that the reason that the person who was murdering them didn't bury them was because the ground was so frozen they couldn't properly bury them, so they just put them in the barn under a bunch of hay. Guys, people thought that this guy was the murderer so much to the point that he had to win several civic claims for slander against him because people were just following around saying he was the murderer. Which, if he didn't do it, is really awful. This brings us to our next suspect, which is the Gump brothers. 
Adolf Gump was a suspect due to connections with the military on April 9th. You can do some more research about that if you want. He was just involved with some shady business happening in the war, basically. But the reason that he's a suspect is because his sister said on her deathbed that he was responsible for the Hinterkaffect murders. As a result from this, the police quickly arrested him, but also quickly released him due to limited evidence. This brings us to Carl S. and Andreas S. A woman wrote a letter saying that when she was 12 years old, she witnessed her mom get a visit from the mother of Carl and Andreas, claiming that both of her sons had committed the murders at the farm. The reason that we can somewhat believe this is because he claims that he lost his penknife while there, and they did find a penknife in the barn. However, the old maid, not the one that was murdered at the house, but the one that previously believed the farm to be haunted, came forward and said that the penknife was in the yard during her service six months before the murders. Now we get kind of a wild card suspect. His name is Peter Weber. Peter was named a suspect by Joseph Bennett, which is one of the men who came and found all of the bodies in the first place. These two men worked together and Joseph claimed that Peter would talk about how easy it would be to steal the money on the property and just kill Andreas. And when Joseph didn't immediately agree with him, he just stopped talking about it altogether. You know what? Fair. If somebody came up to me and just asked if I wanted to help out with a murder, I don't really know how I'd react either. I would definitely not agree, but you know. This brings us to our last suspects, or at least the last one I'm going to be talking about. I did find two others, but there wasn't a lot with it that I thought it would be worth it to mention it. They were basically just other criminals that could have been in the area at the time. Nothing to connect them at all. So if you want to research that, go right ahead. It's all on their Wikipedia page and other resources and whatnot. But for our final one, we are going to be talking about the Bocher brothers. These are apparently two boys who worked as farmhands on the farm, and the old maid said that these two were trouble. Apparently, they had not only stolen from the farm before, but they also made the handle of the axe that was used to murder the family. And they had talked about murdering the family and taking over the farm on many occasions. Because they were workers on the farm, they also would have known the layout of the farm and the bedrooms and where everyone was staying. Also, the family dog who barked at everybody didn't bark at them since they were workers and he knew them, so he could have tied up the dog without anybody noticing. But unfortunately, all of this just lies in the circumstantial evidence and nobody was ever convicted. As I said earlier, the buildings, including the house and the barn that were on the farm, have been demolished and a monument has been placed in honor of the family. But I mean, damn, this murder happened 102 years ago, so I don't think we're ever going to find out what happened, you guys. Personally, I definitely think that Lorenz is the most plausible murderer, or at least more than likely somebody who was really upset about Andreas abusing his daughter. When you think of that as the motive, it makes a lot of sense. But let me know what you guys think. I know this one was crazy and out there, and I had heard of it before, but I never quite gone into all the details of the suspects. I really just knew the circumstances. But this thing is insane. If you're a weird person like me and you want to see the photos of, like, the house and the farm, you can Google image them. Just be aware that there is one or two photos of the victims. So if you don't want to see that, definitely do not research this case. But don't worry, I'm a safe space where I'm not going to show you dead body pictures, so you do not have to worry when you come here. 
Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I haven't said it in a while, but make sure that you go check out my Instagram and my TikTok. I always post short little synopsises of these cases on TikTok. And on Instagram, I always just post some fun shit. Sometimes it's a meme. Sometimes it's a photo letting you know that there's a new episode out. You just never know with me. As always, my name is Audie, and this has been Audie's Oddities.